Welcome to another of the series of Outbreak podcasts that we're doing with Basic Scotland. These are a series of brief snapshots about relevant topics within pre-hospital care in Scotland and some deep dives with specialists on specific areas we think will be useful to Basics responders and folk involved with pre-hospital care in Scotland. My name's Dave, I'm an Army Surgical Trainee, a Basics Responder and a Mountain Rescue Doctor based out of Pitlochry. And joining me today is Duncan Tripp OBE. Duncan spent uh, 35 years in the RAF, of which 18 were spent with 202 Squadron, who uh, were famous for operating the Big Yellow Taxi, or Seeking, uh, out of RAF Lossiemouth. And I believe Duncan's now working for Bristow as a winch paramedic out of Inverness on the Coast Guard aircraft. Uh, it also works as a basics responder. Duncan, welcome. Uh, thanks, Dave. Not to start off on a bad sort of footing, it was a, an MBE rather than an OBE. Maybe I deserved Ooh. OBE, I'm not sure, so a uh, good start. <laughs> no, thanks for that. Thanks for the invite to chat a little bit about Coast Guard operations, how we interact with emergency services, potentially how we interact with uh, basics and uh, basics responders. Fantastic. So uh, when I started off, we used to, to quite regularly see the, the big yellow taxi floating about in the sky, and it was about five years ago everything changed. Yeah, uh, five years ago, a search and rescue responsibility used to be held by the Ministry of Defence. And in 2015, that was transferred across to the Department of Transport. The responsibility then fell to the Maritime Coast Guard Agency for overland as well as over water um, search and rescue responsibility. What they did is they effectively subcontracted that to Bristol Helicopters to provide uh, the helicopters, the manpower, the structure to uh, run the organisation. So effectively, we're employed by Bristol Helicopters, but we operate under the Maritime Coast Guard um, Agency to provide the service for them. So the service hasn't really changed that much. I mean, certainly the aircraft have. The crews, most of the crews transferred across. So you now have a kind of a mix of civilian Coast Guard because the Coast Guard also ran some bases um, prior to the, the transition in 2015. So we mix of um, experience across the board, uh, both uh, civilian and ex-military. There's certainly uh, quite a few familiar faces and, and a much shinier, more capable aircraft from my end of, of the of having you guys around. So uh, what's the kind of setup and laydown of uh, where, where are you guys based? What are your response? Uh, what are your areas? Okay, so basically there are 10 Coast Guard search and rescue bases across the UK just focusing on the, um, the Scottish ones, got uh, a base up at Sombra operating the um, Sikorsky S-92 aircraft. They, a lot of their jobs are mainly maritime and they're picking up quite a lot of rig transfers from new complexes just off the west of Shetland. Stornoway is the next base. They too operate the um, Sikorsky S-92. They are kind of more, mainly uh, maritime with a little bit of mountains. And then across to Inverness, uh, where I'm based, we now operate the Augusta Westland or the Leonardo 189, slightly smaller helicopter. We kind of, uh, our main sort of focus, probably 60, 65% of our kind of work is, is mainly mountains and the rest is a mix of maritime and coastal stuff. And then the final base, Presswick, they, like us, they operate the 189. They have quite of a kind of mixed variety. They also look after the Lake District. So they have quite a kind of broad spectrum. They do quite a bit of retrieval stuff, working with EMRS out of Glasgow. So it's quite an eclectic mix across the board. And if you almost divide Scotland up into, uh, I was going to say, halves, then we probably, certainly in Vernes, we look after probably 
the kind of the northern part of um, Scotland with Prescott looking after the southern part and then overlapping that is Stornoway overlapping the west coast and Sumbra overlapping Shetland, Orkney and North Scotland. So between the, the four bases you've got pretty comprehensive coverage and I'm guessing if, if one of you guys is tasked then the other, the other bases will just cross cover that area. Uh, exactly. So each base has two aircraft. So effectively, uh, one might be on maintenance and the other operational. So that it gives us a reasonable kind of resilience. The fact now that we're using bigger, more powerful aircraft, certainly with the um, the S-92, then to the extent the 189, you know, we've got faster aircraft. I mean, these aircraft, modern ones are now are up in the sort of uh, 140 knots, 150 knots. Uh, you know, in comparison to the um, the Sea King, which is um, down in the um, 120 knots. So even getting to a task and the coverage is far quicker and greater. So the resilience, you know, within, a, uh, for example, I mean, a good example would be Presswick task down to Lake District. That obviously opens up quite a big space. Then it's just the tasking will be a default to the nearest base. That could be Stornoway or ourselves. So there is um, pretty good coverage. and There is a reasonable degree of overlap. Fantastic. And certainly from a, a kind of user point of view, it's noticeable that the, the new aircraft are more capable, they're around for longer, they're quicker in the air, and they're, they're flying in, in some pretty funky weather conditions where the seeking might, uh, might not have got quite so far. So the system seems to be working. It is this kind of, a, a kind of an interesting point and certainly an interesting observation. The aircraft are certainly more powerful. They are more capable when it comes to flying in bad weather the sea king didn't have what was called nice and clearance so the blades weren't heated both the main rotor and tail rotor whereas both the 92 and 189 they are um, heated so basically you can fly it like a like a fixed wing aircraft i.e you can go high uh, and into icing um, so the airframe might pick up some icing but the blades won't so that's certainly um, improved our capability certainly going to jobs from you know, um, east coast to west coast, then we can go high rather than flying low level uh, and letting down at the far end. So that has improved our capability. It's, I think certainly for most of us, it's been a, a journey of discovery. There are um, certainly um, a lot of aspects where the both the, the new aircraft are very, very capable, uh, if not uh, more capable than the Sea King. But there are other areas where the Sea King was very good at and probably that's probably in the mountains where it's just the configuration and the mechanics of the aircraft itself. But I think it was um, it was probably an easier aircraft to use in the mountains and probably a little bit more um, forgiving than the uh, the more modern ones um, with their kind of rigid heads, uh, the rigid rotor blades, um, etc. So any turbulence, you know, is, is felt through the airframe, whereas the Sea King absorbed it a wee bit more. There's certainly what you gain with one another, you lose um, one. So I think overall, you know, with new aircraft, um, certainly reliability is, uh, is, phen is phenomenally good. The KPI for us, I think, is 90, um, 98% um, on state, uh, and we easily exceed that probably most of the time, if not all of the time. Fantastic. And in terms of, uh, of medical capability within the aircraft, um, who's on board? What kind of kit are you guys carrying? Okay, so a four-man crew, so that hasn't really changed that much. The emphasis in the back has changed um, slightly where there wasn't a requirement uh, to have a paramedic in the back. And if you go back historically, maybe sort of five, ten years ago, then sometimes 
there was a default to pick up maybe a doctor if they were going to uh, kind of a, a job with their capabilities. However, the new contract was that um, at least one of the members of the crew must be a paramedic. And, uh, and in some cases, we've got some of the, the rear crew who were winchmen who are now winch operators are um, paramedics as well. So you may end up with a crew um, of four with them um, two paramedics in the back of the aircraft. The, the, the paramedic skills they do, it takes them in, it's kind of a, it's difficult to maybe compare to civilian street, but, or into the kind of uh, the general sort of road paramedic, but there's some skills that we have that they don't have. And there's some skills that they have that we don't. So overall, it's probably more focused towards the, um, uh, the, the demographic that we're faced with. So the guys in the back capabilities wise, the guys can um, they can do ephona so emergency front of uh, neck access so basically surgical uh, airways if necessary they've got um, easy io they've got various drugs it's things like um, in a simple drugs like um, iv paracetamol txa uh, penthrox we've been using for um, about two years now which has um, kind of changed a lot of the way we work with uh, certainly uh, people with um, fractures and things like that I think that's made things a lot easier and that's kind of a capability that um, we're looking at now to enhance and we're also looking at looking at antibiotic drugs uh, for open fractures and but there's uh, also kind of scope uh, we're looking at now at um, using potentially looking forward to what taking on ketamine as a, a, a drug of choice for uh, for analgesia fantastic so it kind of puts you guys into into that sort of um, yellow response uh, that uh, we were discussing when we were talking about sort teams on a previous podcast. So you're doing a little bit more and providing a, a few more skills than the uh, the roadside paramedics that hopefully kind of complement each other. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a fair comparison. I think where sometimes we differ is that being a paramedic is a is a tertiary role for us, and that's not to belittle the task um, or the, the 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 kind of scope of the paramedic, but our primary role is to operate as a, as a crew. So we do a lot of work in the, you know, the navigation, the management, CRM, um, human factors. Um, it's, it's quite a unique environment where as a four-man crew, nobody is in charge. Although there's a captain in the aircraft, the, the, the scope is that when we go to a task, then if any one of us is not content with what we're doing uh, and we say, then that, that decision is not overridden. And what we'll do is we'll back off We'll rebrief and come up with a different um, solution. Gone are the days where the captain would override uh, decisions. So we're in a very privileged position that you know all four members are um, equal status uh, and kind of respected for their own attributes. So working as a crewman to you know get the aircraft to the scene is probably our primary task um, in conjunction with the crew. And then once we're there, we become uh, I suppose the kind of the, the rescue specialist in some respects, become the winchman. And then, you know, once we become the winchman, we become uh, the paramedic. So if we can't do the crewman bit, we can't do the winchman bit. If we can't do the winchman bit, we can't do the paramedic bit. So it, it becomes a, a quite a kind of more complicated um, situation. And I suppose your comparison to sort is, is, is probably quite apt. You know, the, the task that they have to do sometimes to get to, uh, you know, a, a casualty is um, less paramedic and more technical skill rescue than it is um, uh, kind of the medical aspect to um, access your kind of patients. So so slightly different um, concept of operation for us. And, uh, you know, um, overriding some of that is 
that most of our jobs or some of our jobs are uh, don't have a medical aspect. You know, if we're looking at searches, yeah. um, certainly different, or even just simple med transfers when we're working with this, um, then they retain uh, medical primacy. So we're just there to facilitate and provide, you know, um, support and uh, additional help to them, you know, rather than intervene. You know, that's uh, it's their patient. So um, the primacy stays with them uh, and we'll, we'll extend that sometimes to uh, tasks where we're involved with other agencies so, so for example you know if we're involved with basic responders if we go to an rtc for example or we're operating with um, road paramedics then what we might do is we may take one of those practitioners with us so we get continuity of care for that patient so we can then certainly in bad weather then we can concentrate on managing you know the and getting us safely, you know, to definitive care, you know, while they're maybe left in the back to go on with, um, you know, treating the patient. Um, so I guess it, becomes, it frees up uh, that, that bandwidth for you to, to concentrate yeah, on your, your other yeah, tasks. Absolutely. And that, that's, you know, it's a key factor within our kind of role is minimising, you know, the, 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 the it sounds a bit lazy, but minimise the amount of stuff to do. So we open our bandwidth up yeah. and we can step back and, and, and look at the overall picture. And I think, Sometimes that's quite important for us because when we're on task, or if we have been if we've been winched down to a patient, then we're not just considering you know what's going to happen to the patient, you know, treating them medically, but we have to you know consider how we're going to recover them, fuel, um, you know where we um, we may be getting short fuel. Would you consider the weather? We might be operating in night vision goggles, so there are a few other aspects that you know we have to consider, and generally area of operation could be the whole of sort of uh, north of the central belt scotland certainly inverness so again we have to have you know have that consideration of whether we're going to take that patient to a, a district general or a trauma unit or an mtc effectively so uh, it becomes quite a, a kind of a bigger picture and an awareness of uh, more a, a, a bigger awareness of you know what's going on with other agencies as well so it become become quite um, kind of interesting it's fascinating yeah kind of extra aspects to the job Absolutely, yeah. In terms of, of practicalities, for your, your average basics responder, what kind of things do they need to think about if they've got, you know, if they're informed by control that they've got a Coast Guard aircraft inbound? What sort of things can they do to, to help you guys? Good question. And from a responder's point of view, I mean, I'd plug the, certainly, I would strongly recommend the responders uh, to have a look on the basics website and complete the um, ISAR based training which basically what it does is it kind of gives you a bit of a background about the aircraft and there are some documents on the basics website as well you know they'll familiarize um, responders with the capabilities of of the aircraft but certainly um, on scene stuff that i suppose there's there's kind of a, a number of different aspects there where you know whether it's medical or trauma you know if it's trauma then probably we're getting involved um, through another agency but if they're requesting us you know for a medical transfer etc all of these will probably end up, from their point of view, being escalated and ending up on the um, air desk and ambulance control centre down at Cardonnell. And then Cardonnell will then initiate um, a request to the um, Aeronautical Rescue Coordination Centre down at Fairham. And they will then um, assess the situation and then task us appropriately. For the, the, the responders on scene, then obviously, you know, if they're up to their armpits and body fluids trying to you know, treat the patient, then, you know, we totally understand that. But what we can instigate, and this is maybe something worth considering, certainly remote and rural, is that it's maybe worth, as well as having the ambulance, the fire service and responders on scene, it's maybe worth considering the MCA as well. Because they, 
if you this get your the local, Coast Guard. Yeah, sorry, apologies. Yeah, your local Coast Guard teams, your um, Coast Guard rescue teams, because they're, they're used to working and they're, they, they train quite regularly in how to set up um, a landing site. And they've got, they've got lights as well that can uh, mark out um, a landing site for us. So that will, you know, certainly make things a lot. And again, back to what we talked about earlier on about bandwidth, you know, for the practitioner working with the patient, that kind of, that opens it up, that opens up their bandwidth because they've, they've asked somebody else to do it and, and they can get somebody else to crack on with it. So I think that's quite an important aspect for responders on scene. And I would, I, would, I would extend that even to if you're doing, if it's a med transfer, you know, from somewhere remote and rural, then, you know, it's worth maybe getting the Coast Guard as well as the ambulance service in just to give you that little bit of subject matter expert background to can prepare landing sites. I mean, that's, landing sites, sorry, go on. No, no, that, that's that's interesting. It's not something I'd I'd kind of considered before, but yeah, I guess it, you know these are the guys who are who are working with the airframes more often than more often than not. So it's worth getting them on board. Uh, absolutely, and I think I mean for us, you know, I did want to land in something the size of a um, you know a football pitch, but you know if needs must, then we can land you know in something as small as a tennis court, effectively. You know, or we can land on roads, etc. So uh, we land on some. I mean, certainly in the mountains, you know, we'll land in um, you know some um, pretty kind of rough ground, um, and we'll, <laughs> we practice that all the time. So we're kind of we're, we're used to that. So ideally, you know, and get the Coast Guard teams involved. You know, ultimately, you know, when we arrive, then uh, we'll make that decision about you know if that's suitable. And and again, I'll throw it. <laughs> I thought to the responders in the Coast Guard, and please don't take it the wrong way. If we ignore where you've chosen, we might choose somewhere else. You know, because we have maybe the bigger kind of picture, you know, seeing it from an airborne aspect, you know, for access and things like that. So, so we're there to kind of, you know, help, but be helped as well. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things we've been trying to do is get some top tips from each of our interviewees about things that, that they would recommend that basic responders take away, things that make your job easier or make things safer or, or little things that, that they can that responders can can start to implement to uh, to speed the patient journey along. So from a from a search and rescue aircraft point of view, what can responders do to 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 make your life easier? I think you know escalating, um, asking the question sooner rather than later. I think that's probably one of the key elements. You know, once the patient's package is not the time to ask for us. If you even on the way to the scene, you know, and this and you consider with the information you've got then it's probably worth making that recommendation or uh, an air asset to be involved if you um, feel that that is justified. You know, making that decision or triggering that that kind of decision probably into the ACC, I think that's quite important. Um, so from a, from a responder's point of view, that's getting hold of the trauma desk and, yeah. and having a conversation with them. Yeah, and the trauma desk will, I mean, this is the trauma desk and the air desk are uh, right next door to each other. So they'll just lean across and say, right, this is a sitch. So they should be, They'll be working together anyway in um, ACC, and and probably will have you know made that uh, have you know considered um, the the options of you know an early um, air asset, but certainly in the the kind of fog of war, and you know it's probably worth um, you know they may be they may have other things going on and that may have been um, forgotten about, but it's maybe worth from a you know um, certainly if you arrive uh, on scene and with your initial triaged assessment then you know if you think you know this needs additional support air support or additional assets being brought in then I would say an earlier decision I would rather I think this would go for most them um, if I, I would go for all um, aviators or any other emergency services I would rather be stood down on route than be stood up late effectively yeah. 
Um, so I think that's a key kind of point. I think for responders on the ground, um, I think those certainly um, remote and rural who may you know come in contact with us more often, and certainly with the uh, you know the helimeds uh, with us now having four um, helimed aircraft available, then I think it's certainly worth um, having a look at the ISAR computer-based training thing because that is it's reasonably generic, so it'll give you an idea about um, helicopter awareness and safety. And also just the simple things like um, if you are in the process of looking somewhere to land, then it's looking at the obvious, you know, the, the rotor wash from certainly from us, you're looking at probably 50 to 60 knots of rotor wash. And so if there's anything in the um, landing site that um, you think is going to be, then either clear it or let us know about it. So certainly, you know, um, a good sort of um, review of the landing site is always um, is, is good. And again, we're aware when we're operating with uh, responders and certainly emergency services that they are they don't work with us that often. So at times, you know, we will treat them, um, uh, and this is not trying to be disrespectful, but as a lowest common denominator, it's interesting um, even the psychology of when you take somebody who's not maybe worked in a, um, in a helicopter, you know, they're great up to the rampits and body fluids working the patient, absolutely God's gift to creation. Uh, we're taking them into an aircraft, there seems to be a micro switch that makes on their backside that um, all that um, time they've spent and uh, going through med school or uh, their paramedic training just seems to kind of uh, dump all that information. So we're aware of that. Um, so it, it, in that respect, there's no such thing as a stupid question, really. You know, you know, anything they want to ask, then um, ask. If there's anything they're unsure about, then, um, you know, you know, certainly kind of ask us. We're there to facilitate as well as help. But, you know, once they're in the aircraft, then um, make sure that they are safe, you know, that they are secured in the aircraft um, and they're familiar with the inside of the aircraft. And certainly, again, harping on about the ISAR, then that gives you sort of good indicators of, you know, exits and things like that. Things go um, a bit pear-shaped on the way to um, hospital if we have to uh, put the aircraft down quickly. But the crew should You mean to say you don't the... give us the, uh, the full trolley-dolly display at, at the start? No, you know, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, you kind of won't get that. Although um, on the 189, there is a screen you can pull down that does look like a projector screen. Uh, just to disappoint everyone now, that's not uh, for the in-flight movie. That's um, just to uh, block out the light from the, uh, the back of the cockpit into the front. And unfortunately, I don't think we're even uh, into... We might give you a, a bottle of water if you're lucky and an out-of-date Mars bar, but that's probably the limits of my kind of stewarding um, um, capabilities in the back of the aircraft. Fair enough. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much for giving us a kind of an insight into into what you do and and how it's done and some top tips for for responders so that we can make any any interactions with you guys a little bit more seamless and get our patients off to hospital in a in a better state and and faster. Yeah, thank you. And I'll just uh, one last thing I'll say. Um, if we do, then please uh, follow up a call to us at the bases. That's always worth its weight in gold. I think for both sides. So you know, we're there to learn from each experience as much as they are so i would i would strongly recommend uh, you know phoning us up after or we may and um, try and phone you up just to make sure there's nothing we've missed or there's something that we did that you know confused them or you know uh, we need to all learn from so thanks so much fantastic all right take care thank you